I'm not a college graduate. I'm just a construction guy, right? And just try to learn what's in front of me and step through that step by step. And yeah, it's, I think it's one of the key things about life is just always be willing to be surprised, let life surprise you. And it's certainly done that for us. And I think it's a great way to live. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Eric Hemingway. Eric is a highly experienced self-storage investor, and today we're going to learn about his story of how he took an early retirement through his self-storage investing. He and his family traveled the world. They moved to Costa Rica, and then they moved to a sailboat in the Mediterranean for three years. They lived on that sailboat. It's pretty incredible, and they lived in Costa Rica for over a year as well. And today we're learning about how he accomplished that feat through self-storage investing. We also dig into what it was like to end that early retirement and come back to the real world, to the business world, to get back to working, to continue to grow wealth and get re-engaged in the real estate space. I think a lot of folks are wanting to do something like what Eric and his family accomplished, but they're afraid. It's a scary thing to do to step away from the working world. It's hard to really think about what we might need to do to put ourselves in a financial position to do something like what Eric did. And we can just sometimes think that, oh, guys like Eric, they're just not afraid of anything. They just go for it. Well, we dig into that today too, right? He was he was scared at the time. He was scared to take that step, but did it anyway. So it's really a fantastic conversation, especially for those of you out there who are thinking about finding a way to take an early retirement, to take a sabbatical and go travel the world through real estate investing. Well, Eric is a success story. He achieved it. And today we're learning about his experience and how he made it happen and what he's up to today in the self-storage space. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor and I focus on a multifamily and self-storage investing. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com. Fill out the form, schedule a call, and I will look forward to speaking with you soon. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, once again, our guest is Eric Hemingway. Let's go. Eric, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm excited to go through your experience being a nomad through real estate investing. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your background, can you tell us about what you're doing today? And then we'll rewind the clock and learn about how you got started in real estate. Sure. Absolutely. Thanks, Taylor. Yeah. Eric Hemingway, live in Wilmington, North Carolina, been in real estate for 25 years, doing my own thing since 2001. So just uh, 22 years or so. Self-employed guy, general contractor is what got me into real estate. And then pivoted into self-storage in 2006, built my first uh, self-storage in Arizona, Northern Arizona near Prescott. So that's how we got, that's how we got into commercial real estate and Love it. And yeah, excited to see where this goes. Awesome. Well, let's dig into how you scaled in self-storage initially. You built the first one in Arizona, but that one just started the fire, if you will, and at an interesting time in the real estate market just before the crash. So how did you progress from there and continue to build your storage portfolio? Yeah. So great question. So we started, like I said, in, in Arizona, 2006, built the self-storage as it was leasing up. 2000, late 2007, we had an opportunity to actually relocate our family to Costa Rica. So I'd been in construction for a long time, kind of burned out, 
didn't really know what was going to come in 2008, but in 2007, we decided to move our family to Costa Rica. Did that, and it was fantastic. We lived there for a year and a half, and by that time, things had fallen apart in the U.S. and the, the real estate market, so there was really no no coming back here immediately. So my wife and I had been talking about traveling as a family for a long time. So 2009, we bought a sailboat in Greece and moved our family over to a sailboat, ended up living on it for three and a half years and traveled all around the Mediterranean, sailed across the Atlantic back to the Caribbean and up through the Caribbean into North Carolina. So that's how we, that's how we got here. All the while uh, using passive income from self-storage, the self-storage in Arizona to to make the trip happen. So That's there awesome. you go. So I think <laughs> a lot of people fantasize about and picture themselves getting to the point where they have enough passive income from their real estate to effectively retire, at least for a few years, but just to live and support themselves on passive income. So at what point did you realize you'd be able to do that and live that sailboat lifestyle? So it was a combination of things. So it wasn't all the self-storage income. That was some residual income, but we had sold some other commercial properties. I had built an office and a warehouse that we had sold in 2008. And so we used savings from that and passive income from the storage to do that. And we knew it wasn't, this was not an early retirement. I was 35 at the time. So we knew it wasn't forever, but it was just like a sabbatical. We had the opportunity, we had the money and our kids were young. And as we said, if we don't, if we don't do it now, that was the tipping point for me. It was like, if we don't do this, I know I'm going to have regrets. So let's do it. And then when we run out of money, we'll go back to work. <laughs> That's awesome. I very much respect that. And as someone who's 34 and looking at 35 coming up next, it's interesting to see that perspective. So what were you thinking about in terms of the topic of run, quote unquote, running out of money and we'll go back to work? Did you know how much of a runway you would have? And how did you plan that sabbatical? Yeah. So we knew we had the money to buy the boat. We paid cash for the boat so we wouldn't be making a boat payment. And our initial plan, we had no plans to do what we ended up doing. We just thought, let's try it. We've always been intrigued by living on a boat. Let's buy the boat. And we thought we were going to spend one year, sail, a founder, sail around a few Greek islands, and then sell the boat and come back to the US. Right. So that was the initial plan. Ended up being on it, like I said, three and a half years and went to 24 countries kind of just one thing led to another. Found out we were going to have a baby, had a baby with a midwife in Israel, in Jerusalem, and so had a baby abroad and just kind of thought, well, we had no plans to cross the ocean. And then after talking to other sailors and boaters, they were like, yeah, you guys could totally do it. We did one passage, overnight passage, terrified, and then it stretched into a two-day passage. And then later we had a four-day passage. So we slowly built up to that. We we're exercising that muscle and getting more comfortable with the boat. And then it was really a decision that we made as a family, like, do we think we can tackle this? And and we all decided, yeah, I think we can do it. A lot of encouragement from other boaters. The boating community is fantastic. Just a lot of great people there. So, and it, there is no dumb questions. The, they're very giving with information. We met a lot of people that had circumnavigated. And as they were coming through the Suez Canal into the Mediterranean, we kind of tagged up with them and got a lot of encouragement from them as well on, yeah, you guys can totally do it. So we're like, Okay, let's do it. So we had to outfit the boat a little bit. We had to buy a life raft and a satellite phone and some things like that to make the journey. But we decided, yeah, we think we can do it. So we did it. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That is impressive. So for someone out there who's thinking about putting themselves in a position where they could take 
a sabbatical, if you will, for a few years, but have that at least temporary retirement. How would you think about that? If you were going to plan it again and do it mm -hmm. again today, how would you think about that, putting the financials together and how far ahead would you really need to plan to say your future date when you're out? I guess it depends on your goals, but you want to design what your goals are. If you want to take a year off, you can start putting numbers to that. We found that living on a boat is hugely economical way to live. Like it was freeing how much stuff we got rid of when we moved out of the US. You're not, we, we had sold our cars and our house and we were li living on so much less that your money just goes a lot further. So this huge nest egg that you think you need, you, you probably don't because you're not going to your friends' kids' birthday parties and birthday presents. And we were missing the big family Christmas get-togethers where you shell out a thousand or two thousand dollars on Christmas gifts and all those kind of things that just happen in life. We had stepped away from all that, so it was really we were paying for food. We did have international health insurance, which was one hundred and fifty dollars a month for a family of seven, and we had some boat repairs. So that's <laughs> it's surprising how little you can live on when you're just not distracted by everything that everybody's telling you when you're not kind of sucked into the consumerist stuff of just every day on the treadmill. So, Wow. So I think one thing that keeps a lot of folks from doing this or a convenient excuse, if you will, is the question of, okay, I'm planning on coming back at some point, whether it's a year, three years, or however more down the road and going back to the working world in some way. But how can I be confident that the working world is going to let me back in, right? So what did that look like for you coming back and getting back into business? Yes. Great question. So that was something I was pretty worried about. I had a lot of fear about, did I just tank my career? Is this, what does this look like on my resume? Right? So there's this big, huge hole where I left the country and just kind of came to grips with that and said, this is what it is. I can't really live in fear about what ifs. And it's cool because we got back to the US and we had spent a lot of our savings. So it was time to get back to work. My son had recently graduated from high school. So he and I worked together. We started just kind of basically back to the basics. We found some fix and flips, put the nail bags back on. I'm a construction guy, so we started framing and sheetrock and doing work for others until we could get enough money to do our own flip. And then we built some new construction. After a few years of that, we decided, I decided I got to get the bags off. Like I'm tired of pounding nails. So by now the property in Arizona was doing fantastic. The self storage, we still own it today. It's been 17 years and 16 years. And we said, let's get back into storage. So this was 2016. And we really thought a lot about what is a good combination between self-storage and our skill set as contractors and just kind of stumbled across this building. I wanted to convert a building and found a building in downtown Wilmington that used to be a printing company, had been empty for eight years, had been for sale for four years. And my wife and I were having a beer across the street at a brewery. And I said, that building would be perfect for storage. There's no windows. There's a loading dock. It's just a big block building, ugly and empty. So I went and looked at it the next day with a realtor and used an SBA loan with uh, Live Oak Bank. Is uh, They're actually based in Wilmington. They're a huge SBA lender. And yeah, we did our first self-storage conversion. Then from that one, we went to bought another property in Wilmington, self-storage, and then bought one in Greensboro, which was a value add. Somebody else had already converted a building but there was an opportunity to build a, a two-story building a, on the same property. So we did that and kept hitting the ceiling of like what we could do ourselves. Levi and I we just 
rolling all of our cash into the next deal and kind of just everything was a stretch to the next thing. And we had looked at doing syndications and kind of kicking the tires on that, but not really wanting to jump into that until we knew we could do it the right, what we feel like was the right way. We see some syndication groups that just kind of do mediocre deals maybe just for the fees and keep the ball rolling. And we really wanted to build a base of assets that we owned without investors that was kind of the backbone of how we started Nomad Capital. So, and it's interesting because back to your question about did that hurt your career? Well, we kind of launched our syndication group, Nomad Capital, off the fact that we did this boat adventure. And that's the point of Nomad is we live nomadically through passive income from real estate. So that's what we want to give to investors as well is the ability to live that lifestyle. How, however, they work remote, live remote, or just live how they want. Maybe it's just a freedom of time, freedom of purpose, and they can live life on their own terms. And I think I still believe real estate is the number one way to do that, at least from, from what I've, my experience. Not the only way, but it's a great way. Nice. So when you were on the sailboat, you had that property that you still have today. It was producing passive income, but clearly it wasn't enough to support your needs, but that was the plan. You knew that going in. How many of those would you have needed to produce all the income that you would have needed to fund your entire lifestyle and kind of do that indefinitely on the sailboat? Would it have been two, four, five, ten? Yeah, probably two or three would easily do it. And even the one we have now, the one in Arizona is really doing great. It's throwing off great cash flow. We've refinanced it, took cash out several years ago and still still hold on to the asset. We actually just finished a 30,000 square foot expansion on a piece of property next door but because it has been doing so well. Part of the challenge for us was we went shortly after the recession hit and had that had the recession not happened, it probably would have cash flowed plenty. And who knows, we, maybe we'd still be sailing. But <laughs> it was just that it was a long lease up time. Several of the developments that were supposed to be happening near there that we were kind of counting on to help us fill storage units went bankrupt and the developers went bankrupt and projects were put on hold for five, six, eight years. But it was about from, so from 2006 when we built it to probably, I'd say probably 2012, 13, it started really turning a corner and kind of doing what it's supposed to do. But back to the point about construction and why we like the kind of projects that we really love is the heavy value add because it's a great combination for our skill set as con- as construction guys, contractors, and self storage. Very reasonable. so we don't typically buy self storage. We make it out of old buildings, grocery stores, Kmart's. We're working on a hosiery mill. We're working on an old sun drop soda bottling facility right now. And those are the kind of projects we just love because they're complicated and a lot of people are scared of these old buildings. And but for us, it's like we have the team. We go in. We know what we need to do new roof, new HVAC. We actually make storage where there was none because for our group, for the kind of returns we want to shoot for our investors, we just don't feel like there's enough value to add on buying an existing facility. At least that's our model. Yeah. Pretty unique model. So it's been what, 17 years since you first left to move down to Costa Rica in 2006. How has your perspective changed, if at all, on future semi-retirements or temporary retirements or sabbaticals, however you want to put it. Are you really gunning for that now? Or what are your thoughts about that experience and how it changed your perspective, if it did? Yeah, absolutely. It changed our perspective. Yeah. And a lot of people ask, wasn't it scary taking your family across the Atlantic? And 
Yeah, it was terrifying. I mean, <laughs> it was 18 days on the ocean in the middle of nowhere, right? I mean, there was one point where we were a thousand miles from land in, in any direction. Whoa. And so when you put that, you could deal with that kind of, when you face that kind of fear, like hard problems don't seem so insurmountable. <laughs> it's something I like to tell our team and, and groups of people is that fear is kind of a, a muscle that you can exercise. And as you step out of your comfort zone, that muscle gets strengthened and all of a sudden the next stretch is not so hard. And then the next one is not so hard. And really you can train that muscle and you can try to increase your risk. And so, yeah, back to the question about would we travel again? We did actually in 2018, we had four of our kids. We went to Southeast Asia for three and a half months, not three and a half years, but three and a half months, just bought one-way tickets to Bangkok and took backpacks and ended up in Cambodia, Laos, Vietnam, Thailand, Malaysia, and ended in India. So that was a, a fantastic adventure. And who knows what's on the horizon? We have other ideas. There will be some more travel, I'm sure, but we're having, I'm having so much fun right now that it's, I don't want to, I don't want to miss out. It's just exciting. So <laughs> awesome. So how do you think about setting up your life, your business, your investments so that you can have the opportunity to potentially go travel? For three months and it won't all you know fall apart and it'll all keep chugging along and producing income and is there any aspect or sense in which you might need to jump on a computer every once in a while and check in on things if you do yeah so that's something we've certainly thought about and as we've as we're building nomad capital we've got a great team of guys and gals and we implemented traction into our business Gary Wickman, Gino Wickman's book and just following that by the letter so nomad capital is about two years old now and we've got a great team of people there and really feel like more and more delegation is getting handed off to them. And we're really building systems right now. Honestly, you could easily operate without me there. I go there to encourage and answer a few questions, kind of big steering things. Levi, Levi my son and I are partners. So he's definitely more of the integrator, if you're familiar with traction, more of the day-to-day -day kind of things. But Definitely, I'm say I'm more the visionary, the ideas guy, and always kind of looking at the horizon, like where can we pivot? If these, if the runway gets short on these self storage conversions, what else can we pivot to? Could we do cold storage? Could we do airplane hangers? Could we do? Could we find an old mill and renovate it to multifamily? Just searching for those kind of opportunities, and that's the part I really love. And that part doesn't really require forty hours a week sitting there grinding away. It's really you need time to re refresh and focus and let the ideas flow. And so I've been better about that, trying to trim my work week down to 30 hours, 25 hours. And, and it could certainly, I'm definitely not the missing link at the office. They could, it functions pretty well without me. Nice. Okay. So if you were to speak back to yourself right before you left for that, to go down to Costa Rica, as you were making that decision or as you were preparing and say, Eric, you're doing one thing right, this one thing right. And on the other side of this, here's something that you're doing wrong. Granted, I'm sure that you were doing a lot of things right, right? But if you were to pick out one thing that you know, hey, this was a great move. And then on the other side of that coin, what's a, like a big mistake you made, right? Because we all make mistakes in life looking back. So what would you do differently? What would you do the same? Let's see. The thing I did right, I think would be just, follow, I guess, trusting my gut and following my gut and kind of what we had talked about as a family and my wife and I, and we had this goal and we said, well, 
it's, it's not something you can do halfway, right? You either do it or you don't. Like, let's try it. I mean, what's the worst that can happen? We come back to the U.S. with a tail between our legs and start over, which is basically what we did anyways five years later <laughs> with the whole thing. So I think that I felt definitely following my gut was the right thing. The wrong thing or something I wish I would have done differently, trying to think. Maybe it's the flip side of the same coin. Even after having made the decision was second-guessing myself or letting anxiety creep in and probably worrying about my career, thinking that it was going to devastate my career. But honestly, we were so excited and willing to do this as a family. I was fine if it meant the end of my career. I was like, this is worth it to me. And maybe that kind of letting go attitude is what ended up being what ended up helping because now it's a key point of our story, right? This is our story. So yeah. Does that answer the question sort of? <laughs> yeah. No, it's interesting. I'm also curious how you think about today or maybe back at the time, your lifestyle and trying to avoid lifestyle creep. Is that something that's on your mind as you make more money, spend more money or keep your lifestyle more simple so that it's kind of easier to step away from if you so choose to and go away for a few months again? Yeah, that's a great question. So it's definitely something that has impacted our family. I mean, we do live pretty frugally. We're not all about fancy cars and we live pretty modestly, but we, because we want to do more travel, we really feel passionate about that. And uh, now our kids are grown. We've got two kids that are married, five grandkids, one in college, two at home. We still want to do adventures with them and, and really pour into our family. And through that, then we can impact other people and tell them, hey, this is possible. Like we did it. If literally, if I can do it, and anyone can do it. So I'm not a college graduate. I'm just a construction guy, right? And just try to learn what's in front of me and step through that step by step. And yeah, it's. I think it's one of the key things about life is just always be willing to be surprised, let life surprise you. And it's certainly done that for us. And I think it's a great way to live. Awesome. Yeah. I think a lot of folks are afraid to make all the pivots that you've made. You pivoted to go travel overseas and you came back and flipped houses, and then you, I think, crucially decided that you need to ha hang the nail bags up and find a different strategy that allowed you to continue to grow without swinging the hammer. And I think a lot of flippers get stuck doing that work themselves and get burnt out or kind of fail to scale and ultimately choose to step away because it's scary to pivot your business and investments that much. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it is scary. I think it's, I don't know. See what's behind the next door. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Are you looking for a way to easily track your rental property finances? Check out Stessa. Stessa makes managing real estate investments simple. You can easily keep track of the performance, finances, and the paper trail of your rental properties. Our listeners can get started for free and then upgrade at any time to unlock their more advanced tools. And the even better news is that the upgrade is very affordable and will not break your bank. Smart investors know that tracking the numbers, tracking the money, tracking the finances is what really drives your success. Check out Stessa. It'll make your property finances easier. Just go to escapingwallstreet.com Scroll down to the Stessa logo and get started for free. Now back to the show. All right, Eric, cool. I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I'm ready. Give it to me. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? 
I'd have to say a sailboat that we bought in Greece. Um, it, we bought it for 80 grand, uh, maybe a little over 80, 84 grand or whatever. And when we got back to the U.S., we ended up selling it for 45 grand. So on paper, it was a bad investment, but for our family and for you know what it's what it's able to do for us, it was best money ever spent, no question. I love so it. a losing investment, but I would do it again tomorrow. <laughs> Priceless memories, of course. That's right. But we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Real estate wise? Sure. Or anything wise. Yeah, let's do real estate. So in Arizona, I did, when I was doing building, I started getting, banking a lot of land for commercial projects or whatever, and learned a painful lesson that you just can't, I, I will not invest in anything that does not cash flow, right? So vacant land that you do not have immediate plans for, to me, is a bad investment. I know there's land flippers and they do great and all that. But for my mentality, I, I just will not buy land because, especially with debt, if you've got payments on land that's not generating any income, it's uh, it's a slippery slope. So I would say that would probably be my worst investment. Makes a lot of sense. Well, my favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? I would say probably address your fears head on and don't let your fears dictate what you feel like your gut's telling you to do. Nice. Well, Eric, I want to thank you so much for joining us today, sharing this experience, so much knowledge and lessons. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch or learn more about what you're up to, where can they track you down? Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. So uh, you can find us online at nomadcapital.us. My email is eric, E-R-I-K, at nomadcapital.us, or happy to talk on the phone, 910-431-3855. Awesome. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.